Welcome to Granite State Matters, the busy person's way to catch up with what's happening in New Hampshire. Because extremists are taking over the state house. And what you don't know can hurt you. I'm David Muse, filling in for Steve Marchand. And I'm Terry Harkins. Welcome, David. Thanks for pitching in. Thank you. In the last two episodes, you talked about the radicals who've moved inside New Hampshire and other forces, working with them to change our state's educational system, health care access, and voting rights. And today we're going to zoom in on how those forces are impacting one single issue crucial to all of us, energy. Costs are rising sharply this year, aren't they, David? Yeah, they sure are. Prices dropped during COVID lockdowns. As demand ratcheted up with reopening and winter temperatures, supply became outstripped, creating a seller's market. In addition, that Arctic freeze reached all the way to Texas and shut down the refineries that weren't weatherproofed. Other New England states have offset rising costs by lowering demand. They've also encouraged local production of electricity, solar, wood pellets, and wind. That, again, lowers demand for out-of-state fuels, which lowers fuel bills. In the last episode, we described how the Sununu family has supported fossil fuel industry interests since John Sununu Sr. was in the first Bush White House. In fact, wasn't he the one who convinced President George H.W. Bush not to join the Climate Accord back in the 1980s, David? Yeah, that's right, Terry. And the governor's brother is a lobbyist in the fossil fuel industry. Coke Industries and their allies fund fossil fuel-friendly candidates like Chris Sununu, as well as the Josh Josiah Bartlett Center for Public Policy. Uh, that's the group we discussed in Episode 4 that's chaired by Sununu family members. If New Hampshire had a single oil well or a coal mine in the state, we might be able to comprehend why the Sununus are so pro-fossil fuel. But we don't, of course. Instead, we currently spend about $6 billion per year on out-of-state energy sources. And New Hampshire utilities take their cues from state leadership as to how much or how little they can get away with. It's government's job to balance business interests with the interests of the people. And our leadership seems to only be looking out for business. Well, today we have two guests, Sam Evans-Brown, Executive Director at Clean Energy New Hampshire, and Representative Kat McGee, Deputy Ranking Member of the New Hampshire House Science, Technology, and Energy Committee. And they're going to explain to us how Governor Sununu and the GOP majority are working to keep the state last in New England's efforts on climate action, price reduction, and local power generation. And it's not just through the legislature, is it, David? The governor has also stacked the Public Utilities Commission and newly formed Department of Energy with political appointments to thwart these efforts. Which he was able to do because of the gerrymandering that you and Steve discussed in Episode 2 that gave him a 4-1 to one majority in the Executive Council. The Executive Council has the power to approve or deny the governor's nominees. So what he's been able to do is to greenlight unqualified candidates without pushback. That's just another proof point that all the issues we've been discussing here on Granite State Matters are intertwined. Absolutely. And what's so insidious and so crafty about the way that he's done it is the way that he takes credit for promoting alternative energy while, in fact, he's been stripping away our ability to avoid adding more undesirable fossil fuel infrastructure. For example, by the time the governor's allies were done with the many net metering bill attempts, they passed a municipal-only net metering policy that was so narrow, at most, 
maybe five New Hampshire towns might be able to benefit from it. Right. The The original bill let towns combine and choose the best site for solar and then share the electricity. The governor and his friends amended the bill so all power had to be generated and also used within a single town's boundaries. Sam Evans-Brown is going to tell us more about that. And Kat McGee will fill us in on how partisanship has changed the landscape at the New Hampshire Public Utilities Commission and the newly formed New Hampshire Department of Energy. But first, let's understand some of the basics of energy costs and how the state gets its energy. Well, so as you said earlier, Terry, there were no fossil fuel reserves here in New Hampshire. Uh, We have no coal mines, we have no oil wells, uh, we have no gas fields. Over 50% of our electrical generation comes from Seabrook, and that's had a positive effect on our emissions level for decades. We can import gas, coal, and electricity into the state through pipelines, trains, trucks, and power distribution lines, or we can generate it here at home through homegrown resources such as bio fuels, trash plants, and wood scrap. There are also renewable forms of generation like wind, solar, and small hydro plants. And doesn't market demand drive pricing? Exactly. And demand tends to go up during the day when we're all using energy. It's what's known as peak demand, and that's when prices are also at their peak. And peak demand times are the reason we still have the last remaining coal power plant in New England. It is known as a peaker plant. We pay the operators to keep it on standby, even if we never need it in a given season. Yes, that's right. The New England Independent System Operators, or ISO New England, have to make sure that we have enough reserve power to deal with peak demand so we don't have brownouts. Since New Hampshire hasn't come up with plans to shave peak by adding local sustainable power sources, we're forced to pay for the remaining coal as our dirty backup plan. Right, David. Other New England states work to reduce peak demand. They're lowering their share of regional transmission costs by transitioning to cleaner power sources and investing in energy efficiency. They do this by helping residents and businesses to insulate their buildings, upgrade their HVAC systems, and change out inefficient light bulbs. And they encourage consumers and industry to use electricity during off-peak hours. They also provide programs that encourage local energy generation to offset the need for more reliance on fossil fuels. All these efforts manage peak costs. So New Hampshire started out doing less than the other states in the region. And the current GOP majority has opted to slash smart energy programs further. So the upshot is our costs will keep rising. And we're not doing our part to address climate change. In a moment, Sam Evans-Brown and Representative Kat McGee will enlighten us on where New Hampshire stands today and the factors that have led us here. So stay tuned to Granite State Matters podcast on New Hampshire energy, why we pay more, and harm climate more. And we're back. Our first guest today is Sam Evans-Brown, Executive Director of Clean Energy New Hampshire. Sam Evans-Brown has worked for New Hampshire Public Radio since 2010. He shifted gears in 2016 and began producing Outside In, a podcast and radio show about the natural world and how we use it. Hey, Sam Evans-Brown. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing reasonably well, considering the circumstances. Sam, can you tell us the mission of Clean Energy New Hampshire in a sentence or two? Sure. Our mission is to promote uh, uh, clean energy technologies and to and to advocate for good clean energy policy here in the Granite State. So tell us how New Hampshire's energy efforts compare with other New England states 
How are they lowering peak demand? Uh, well, uh, interesting you should phrase it that way because New Hampshire is frequently cited as being sort of the hole in the donut in the New England energy scene, um, particularly for years when I was when I was reporting on on energy issues, um, it felt often like Southern New England and Northern New England were were sort of two separate uh, countries and and pushing in very different ways. For a while, Vermont e even had some somewhat problematic renewable energy policies, but really throughout the 2010s. Um, both Vermont and Maine uh, started to get their act together, and, and New Hampshire has has yet to do so, despite the fact that throughout that same period, the cost of clean energy has begun to fall dramatically, uh, and particularly in the areas of wind and solar energy, which, which are now um, literally the cheapest energy in the history of humanity. Um, but that reality has not yet been mirrored with some sort of policy emphasis on trying to, uh, you know, uh, roll that incredibly inexpensive energy out to Granite Staters. How does New Hampshire's lack of progress affect New Hampshire families' energy costs? Well, so you asked early on about what is New Hampshire doing to reduce uh, peak demand. And, and so that's the, that's the exact right question, because for those who don't know, all of the, the costs uh, of our energy systems generally uh, are incurred because of the, the sort of peak days, the peak hours and the peak days. So this tends to, on the New England electrical grid to be the hottest days of the year. Um, on the natural ga gas grid, of course, that's the coldest day days of the year. And those two systems, the gas system and the electrical system, um, interplay with each other quite a bit because, of course, New England is now increasingly reliant on natural gas-fired electricity plants to get our electricity, which means that on the hottest days of the year and the coldest days of the year, the price of energy spikes. Uh, and and the, the way that energy costs are socialized out through our electric bills and our gas bills are they are shared regionally as a function of how much demand you have on those peak days. And so by reducing our peak demand, we lower the, the amount of that regional cost share that New Hampshire families are paying. Um, and so the fact that New Hampshire has really no policy that is attempting to reduce our peak demand on those hottest and coldest days means that increasingly, New Hampshire residents are, are shouldering an ever higher share of the regional costs of delivering energy to their homes. Um, so, so I think that if trends continue as they do, as if trends continue as they are now, uh, we will likely see energy bills continue to rise, you know, and again, to, to bring it back to first principles, our energy prices are going to continue to rise at a time when the technological forces should be pr pushing costs lower and lower because so many people are, are working to try to make the cost of a renewable energy transition affordable uh, and, in, and, in fact, are succeeding. Well, Sam, how about the climate crisis? How do New Hampshire's energy policies harm the climate? Well, New Hampshire's policies are... are uh, are silent on the question of climate, uh, but the, and that's that's not a hundred percent true. New Hampshire does have some policies on the books that were sort of uh, from the the era when uh, John Lynch was governor and when Maggie Hassan was governor that were signed into into place. And those are we we still do participate in the regional greenhouse gas initiative, which is it, which is a carbon tax. Um, you know, people don't like to call it that, but but that is that is essentially what it is. It's a cap and trade program that puts a price 
on carbon emissions that are that are coming from uh, electrical generation stations throughout New England. And in fact, the, those prices have risen to a level that we have literally never seen before. The last auction they were selling for $13 a ton, which is still short money compared to what many economists think the, the price of carbon actually ought to be if you were to base it on the amount of social harm it causes the world. Uh, so that is one policy program that, that we still do, that we still are participating in. And a second is uh, the, we have a renewable portfolio standard, which is a, a fairly modest policy that is, that is pushing to get the Granite State to 25% renewable energy by 2025, a goal which we will likely, uh, we will likely not only meet but exceed because it's, it's fairly modest. And, in, in, you know, and in fact, uh, economic forces will probably push us past that goal without too much trouble. Okay, Sam, final question. Can we turn New Hampshire's energy policies around? I think the answer to that is yes. Uh, and I, I came to Clean Energy New Hampshire, which is in fact a bipartisan organization and does in fact work with Republicans on on pushing for, for clean energy policies. I came here because of a fundamental belief that this decade will be uh, one of uh, accelerating and dramatic change, both on the technological front, but also in the political landscape as well. Because I think at this point, uh, when we start to look at the economics of how of how beneficial clean energy is going to be for for your average citizen, it's going to become really hard to ignore that. Um, and and so getting that message to to the into the the, the halls of power is one of my primary goals. Um, but but beyond that, I, I do think that the the increasing mass mobilization that we are seeing from the grassroots demanding uh, better energy policies is going to also make it very hard to ignore. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for stopping by and talking about energy with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. This has been Executive Director Sam Evans-Brown of Clean Energy New Hampshire. Our next guest today is Representative Kat McGee. Kat is the Deputy Ranking Member of the House Science, Technology, and Energy Committee. She's also a Program Manager with Emphasis in Project Management. Kat is a member of the House Science, Technology, and Energy Committee. Can you speak to us about the state's 10-year energy strategy report and maybe tell us in layman's terms what it is and what it could have been? Sure. The 10-year energy strategy report is a blueprint for where the state's energy efforts are at and a vision for where those efforts are headed. Although it's a 10-year strategy report, the statutory requirement is that the state revisit and revise it every three years. Its purpose is to outline the state's long-term plans for cleaning up our energy sector, meaning lowering carbon emissions, which in turn helps New Hampshire remain competitive in the region. It was often compiled by energy consultants who would outline how we were doing against our stated goals and then define targets to keep us progressing. This report was compiled by New Hampshire's Office of Energy Planning up until Governor Sununu came into office. He disbanded the Office of Energy Planning and relegated energy to the Office of Strategic Initiatives, which did a lot of other things. The OSI energy folks focused mostly on administering federal funding, like to the fuel assistance program and the like. Although they did compile a 10-year energy strategy report in 2018, and we're currently waiting uh, for the 2021 version out of the new DOE, these reports have become a recap of energy data without any really strategic plans or long-term planning. Hey, welcome, Kat. 
How has the Sununu administration helped or hindered state efforts? Where to begin? Um, I was very naive in my desire to work in a bipartisan way on energy policy. I had heard the Science, Technology, and Energy Committee worked in a bipartisan way, agreeing on science and data. Um, This is not the case today. In my first term, Democrats were in the majority, and we were uh, we passed several bipartisan energy bills. Um, there were 57 vetoes in that term, so most of what we tried to do did not get passed. Uh, two important ones in particular, raising the net metering cap so that anyone contributing local sustainable energy could recover the value of that contribution, and continued support for the state's biomass industry, which makes up about 6% of New Hampshire's local electric generation, or anyway it used to, um, while supporting New Hampshire's healthy forests. So both bills were important and both had bipartisan support. Most importantly, we had enough votes for a veto-proof majority. Um, Governor Sununu didn't like the politics of Democrats passing these bills, and so he spoke with the GOP House members before veto override day and asked them to switch their votes and uh, let his vetoes stand, and uh, he he got his way. And the New Hampshire Forestry Society, the biomass operators, and the landowners who maintain large swaths of forest because they can provide low-grade timber to local energy plants were all ignored in our public hearings. Uh, These vetoes, coupled with the lack of defined goals to address climate disruption, got me thinking that maybe the governor is inclined toward greater fossil fuel dependence on purpose. And Americans for Prosperity, the political arm of fossil fuel giant Coke Industries, has been very good to this governor and his party in New Hampshire. Coming from a project management background, I can say that a lack of strategy is a strategy. A very controversial policy that was passed as part of the budget um, was the creation of a new Department of Energy. Can you talk about the history of the New Hampshire Department of Energy and any issues that you see with it today? Yes, thank you, David. Well, again, watching the operations of the Sununu administration up close, its lack of transparency, um, its unwillingness to work across the aisle, and its uh, inability to articulate any goals that acknowledge science or the moment we're in environmentally made me a skeptic of this choice to stand up a Department of Energy after five years of no real point person leading on energy in New Hampshire. Uh, Putting the definition of the Department of Energy in the budget was unusual, but not for an administration who's bypassed legislative and public import wherever possible. Eighty pages of House Bill 2 defined the responsibilities of the Department of Energy, and they also redefined the operation of the Public Utilities Commission, our utility rate-setting regulatory body. The PUC is supposed to be independent and walled off from politics. The PUC was dismantled, really, to the point where it is now wholly dependent on the new Department of Energy for everything from budgets to investigations, and the DOE reports to the governor. So the political structure is, by design, less independent. We've watched as unqualified political aides to the governor were appointed to the highest paid energy jobs for which they have no experience, including at the PUC and the Department of Energy. The new director of the Department of Energy Uh, for which we were told during hiring delays an extensive search was being made, has no energy uh, industry experience except for his last political appointment by the governor in the Office of Strategic Initiatives, which I mentioned earlier. This signals a lack of seriousness. 
to take on what is a very complex set of issues. But it also opens the door for increased dependence on fossil fuels, which would be our most costly course. I, I cited evidence of this in my public comment to the current 10-year strategy report that was opened this summer. As long as New Hampshire is doing so little to support local sustainable energy, the more likely it is that we will need more pipelines. Everyone will end up footing the bill for a dirty boondoggle uh, for a long time to come. So the new DOE has shown no evidence that it will improve New Hampshire's energy profile or outcomes or costs. And the chair of my committee, who himself is a former fossil fuel lobbyist, told me recently um, that the only hope we had for bipartisan collaboration was if the Democrats on science, technology, and energy would give up on the issue of climate change. Um, the dismantling of uh, approach is happening under the radar, uh, but it is not going to save us any money. Energy policy is not something the public wants to pay a lot of attention to, and I dare say that they simply expect that their representatives are going to be doing the right thing. But it is incredibly important for them to understand that we are all going to pay for the mishandling of New Hampshire's energy transition. Kat, you serve on the Energy Efficiency and Sustainable Energy Board. Who, along with New Hampshire Utilities, helped produce the three-year energy plan that was just rejected after an 11-month delay at the PUC? Can you tell us about what happened there? Well, I can try. <laughs> like many working uh, for clean energy in the state, I, I wish that I could, I wish I had a better answer for you. But um, I understand that the parties uh, view politics and government differently. But I um, was involved in spearheading a letter in response to a letter that was submitted to the Public Utilities Commission last November in 2020 by um, the Republican leadership of my committee asking that the pending three-year energy efficiency settlement agreement be stopped because of COVID uncertainties. This was highly irregular because the regulatory process is more like a judicial process. The commissioners are supposed to consider the evidence provided by the parties to the settlement agreement in arriving at their decision. Although comment letters can be taken into consideration, interfering in the PUC docket where evidentiary hurdles have to be met to show the cost burden and the cost benefit of the New Hampshire Saves three-year plan, it's an unprecedented leap. Um, as, a, as a speaker-appointed member of the current Easy Board, I was in a meeting this year when another political appointee of the governor's, Mark Sanborn, who is currently serving as the deputy director of the Department of Environmental Services, came right out and said that he was pretty confident in saying that big business was the reason the three-year energy efficiency plan had been stopped. His statement was well before the November 12th decision from the PUC, which we were all waiting for, but it was telling because it was an admission that business had access to and influence on New Hampshire's regulatory process. There has been uh, a game going on at the PUC as well, where those of us who are close enough to observe, um, you know, can just notice that things are not how they normally are. Um, a qualified commissioner was allowed to roll off uh, after finishing her six-year term, and she was willing to keep going, but she, you know, she wasn't asked to. It's at the pleasure of the governor. Um, so she had offered to continue to serve. She had a lot of knowledge. She was also our representative. Um, in the region for uh, regional initiatives and conversations that were going on. So it was kind of a key role. So she's gone. 
Um, and then a new appointee uh, without any background in uh, or understanding of rate setting or any of the other complex energy direction setting that happens at the PUC was elevated to be the head commissioner. And that occurred when the former head commissioner signed the order rejecting the three-year energy efficiency settlement agreement that we had waited 11 months to, you know, to have a decision on. And that was the same day that she resigned from the PUC four years shy of her tenure. So there seems to be a lot of chaos and dysfunction going on up in Concord when it comes to energy policy. But what's the biggest problem you see in your role as a state representative trying to work on energy for your constituents? Well, thanks. It's, it's a good question. Um, I, I don't think I can boil it down to one. I actually see three problems um, that affect my ability to serve my constituents as far as energy is concerned. One is that there's no political accountability for ideological politicians or ones with ties to industry when they delay action or make bad decisions that the rest of us have to pay for. Um, two, we have a lot of unqualified people now in charge of this large, complex sector of our economy, so we really can't expect good outcomes. And as my experience as a software program manager tells me, um, you know, I'm constantly dumbstruck by the fact that's, that Governor Sununu constantly refers to himself as a manager. And uh, it's a self-image I'm sure he wants to cultivate, but every good manager surrounds themselves with competent people. And, um, you know, I think that's a real disservice to our constituents that we, we should have people who are qualified for these high-paying jobs in our government. If we're going to be so fiscally conservative on every dime that we spend, then it doesn't make sense for us to hire people that don't know their jobs. And finally, um, the, I think that the Republican philosophy of government at this point in New Hampshire is not keeping pace with where we're at in this 21st century um, defunding energy efficiency, for example, costs New Hampshire more because there's uh, nearly a four to one return on investment. And it was the utilities and, and an economist that they hired that helped provide that information for us so that we could understand the value of putting money into weatherizing houses and lowering our fuel demand um, and then reneging on our renewable portfolio standards uh, so we miss out on the potential of the clean energy economy in New Hampshire, means we take on a larger and larger portion of the region's grid transmission costs. So it's truly a matter of doing nothing and claiming victory. I have constantly argued for strategic energy plans that give predictability to business and avoid fossil fuel monopoly when those uh, fossil fuels are going to be the highest cost for Granite Staters as we go forward. New Hampshire State Representative Kat McGee, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Kat, thanks for coming in and making us smarter. <laughs> My pleasure. This has been Granite State Matters discussion on New Hampshire energy, why we pay more and harm climate more. Our next episode will focus on impacts of changes in election law, not just on voters, but on volunteers and town staff who run our elections. And you can follow our bi-weekly podcast at your favorite podcast provider and share it with friends and neighbors because the extremists are taking over the statehouse. And what you don't know can hurt you. <laughs>